Welcome to the Brian Thomas Crop Podcast. My name is Brian Thomas Crop, and I believe that stories have a tremendous power for good. So I write them and I enjoy sharing them with you. If you are new with us, then uh, a special welcome to you. The way this show goes is in just a moment, you'll hear a chapter uh, from a book that I have written. In this case, it is a showdown in the Yukon, which is the part one in a Pearl Saga series that I'm writing. Part two is called Shell Game, and it is out already. Uh, you can read that one for nothing over at BrianThomasCrop.com. Uh, but we will get into chapter 46 of Showdown in the Yukon. I would catch you up. Uh, I've been doing a series of, uh, you know, whatever that's called, previously on uh, Showdown in the Yukon, but we're at chapter 46. This is the penultimate chapter. It would take way too long to explain what on earth is going on and why anything in this chapter is important. If you care to go all the way back to the beginning, hop on episode 17, that's where Showdown in the Yukon starts. But Hang on. I think you're going to enjoy uh, this chapter of Showdown in the Yukon, which we will get into right after we hear from this week's sponsors. Well, I am excited to let you know that Shell Game, the sequel to Showdown in the Yukon, is now available at Amazon. It is available in Kindle and paperback and hardcover. And Shell Game tells the story of a private detective named Evan Gold who works in a small Kansas town. And there have been three mysterious murders that have happened. And he needs to unwind all of the mystery, find the person or persons behind the murders before the police nab him for all of them. They think that he is at the center of all of it. And he does run into the Pearl, the same Pearl that Monterey Jack uh, has run into in Showdown in the Yukon. And you'll just have to pick up the book to find out uh, the interaction between uh, the Pearl and Evan. So swing over to Amazon, tell your friends about it, grab a copy for yourself. You can also uh, read it for free over at brianthomascrop.com. But I'm so happy to be able to share uh, this next installment in the Pearl Saga with you. And with that, on to our chapter this week. Chapter 46. The next day, Monterey and Pap sat anxiously in the lobby. Any moment the man would be there to collect his debt. Not a word passed between the two men, now much more equals in the world than boss and employee. They heard the sound of horses' hooves trot up and stop. From the sound of it, Monterey counted at least three horses, if not four. Remember our deal, Monterey reminded Paps. I speak, you remain silent. Trust me, whatever happens, if we can avoid a gunfight, we walk away from this winning. A moment later, an old man with a bulbous nose, bad skin, and two sons entered the inn. It took a moment for Monterey to remember the family that had kidnapped him, Lucy, and Mrs. Finch on their first night out of town, but once he recalled them, it was difficult for Monterey to keep a smile from forming on his face. The three men sauntered up to the table where Monterey and Paps sat. You got a deed of sale like you promised, old Coot said. I've been redecorating this place in my mind ever since I beat your sevens. I think the first thing I'll get rid of is you. The man could not help but let out an arrogant laugh of triumph. Monterey could feel Paps shift in his seat. 
Which would you rather have? Monterey started before Paps could accidentally make things worse by talking. An inn that most certainly needs expensive repairs and upkeep will put you in a business with customers to satisfy and employees to manage and will not sell for much more than your bet entitles you. Or, Monterey leaned forward and narrowed his eyes, would you rather just take the money and run? With that, he pulled up a small cask on the table and pushed it closer to the men. Old Coot stared at Monterey without so much as a blink. Monterey returned the favor. One of the sons, Henry or Horace, Monterey could never remember which one was which, started to move to the table to look at the box. Old Coot stretched out his arm to stop his son. What's in the box? Old Coot asked. Let's call it another wager. You take the inn as is, or you take the box and its contents. What's in the box? Horace or Henry said, placing his hand on the handle of his revolver. Monterey reached out and lifted the box lid. Old Coot and his boy's eyes got as big as the full moon on a well-lit desert night. It was many seconds before they could take their eyes off the nuggets of gold and find their tongues. Old Coot reached out his hand to touch the nuggets. Monterey slapped the lid shut, breaking the gold spell and causing the man to jump back slightly. How do we know this is real? he said. Oh, it's genuine, Monterey assured them, harvested from a very lucrative mine up in the Yukon. So what is it going to be, the inn or the gold? We'll have to think it over, Old Coot said. Nope, Monterey said. You walk out of here without this box and the deal is off forever. You can't come back here claiming anything in this establishment is rightfully yours. We have offered you a more than fair price in honest gold. If you want to walk away from it, you walk away from everything. It is an exciting thing to put everything on the table. Monterey felt nervous at either outcome. He loved the inn and did not want anyone but Paps to run the place, but he also wanted to keep the gold. Having no other honest skills in the world from which to make a living, that box of Yukon gold was all the money Monterey had in the world. At the same time, he felt a tremendous sense of freedom. If these greedy fools took the box of gold, Monterey knew he would never again feel tempted for riches. In that sense, he felt a great confidence in offering up the gold, and part of him hoped they would take it. The three bandits stared at the gold and Monterey in turns. Beads of sweat formed on their foreheads. Monterey figured this was the hardest these three had thought about anything in a very long time. It was as if he could read every thought they had, desperately trying to decide if they were being tricked in some way or given the deal of a lifetime. Monterey kept one hand on Pap's knee to keep him from stepping in and confusing the negotiation. Each time Monterey felt Pap's about to say something, he would dig in his fingernails into the sides of Pap's knee to remind him to stay quiet. After a very long and uncertain minute, Old Coot put his hand on the box of gold and drew it to his chest and said, Looks like we have a deal! From the look in his eyes, Monterey could tell Old Coot thought he was coming out on top in the situation, which Monterey had to admit in some ways he was. Old Coot hastily shook Pap's hand, rallied his sons, and an instant later, it was just Paps and Monterey sitting in the lobby together. Well, I have to hand it to you, Monterey, started Paps. We got to better those scoundrels, didn't we? <laughs> he laughed at the thought. You realize I just bought the Hayes house from you, right? Monterey said. Paps looked at him with questions all over his face. You mean, Paps began. That was every nugget I owned, and this place is now all the earthly possession I have. Paps looked at Monterey slack-jawed, his eyes flitting this way and that, attempting to come up with something to say. 
Don't worry, Paps. I like this place just the way it is. You keep running it the way you have. Keep the guests happy. Keep singing your old songs on the piano. Everything. But this way you can't gamble away what isn't yours, and I don't have to work here anymore because I get paid off the profits. Paps looked at him in amazement. You mean that gold was bona fide? Where'd you get that much? You mean to tell me those women were telling the truth? Rivers of it, Monterey said. It's a very long story, Paps. Let's just say I am just as happy to see it walk out of here as if I'd kept it. I always suspected you were a plum fool, Paps said, shaking his head. And now I have proof. You mean you didn't keep back a little something for yourself? Monterey put his hand around Paps' shoulder and said, Looks like you're just going to have to trust me. Now, why don't we play a game? I might even let you win. Monterey picked up a deck of cards from the table and handed them over to Paps. We have a few more hours before we need to do anything. So dumbfounded, Paps sat down and began to deal a hand for himself and one for Monterey. Monterey sat across from his former boss and smiled at finally being treated like a man in this town. If you are a long-time listener of this show and have been tracking with Showdown in the Yukon uh, this whole time, this will not seem that unfamiliar to you. But if you're new, um, one of the uh, growth points, I guess, in me writing this story was I had been writing Showdown in the Yukon or what became Showdown in the Yukon for years. And I would always start off about the same way in the story. And then I would get to a point and it would just rabbit trail and diverge. And I never really knew how to finish the thing. And I ran into uh, a, a writing, like a story writing course that one of the suggestions was there are a certain amount of orig original plots that exist in the world. Take a story that works and just kind of piggyback on its story and then write your thing on there. And so uh, because of some stuff, and if you go back a few episodes, you'll hear me talk more about this, but I really like um, what Tolkien did in The Hobbit with the ring from Hobbit to um, Lord of the Rings, um, just how he changed the character of the ring over the course of just those two books realized that Lord of the Rings is not two books. Um, anyway, uh, and I wanted to do the same thing with this pearl that Monterey runs into. So I did sort of, I guess, a sort of a one-for-one -one translation. So it's like if you, if you read The Hobbit and read um, uh, Showdown in the Yukon at the same time, you're kind of like, oh, I get it. Those people were the trolls and this person is Thorin and this is Bilbo and all that stuff. You'd probably figure it out. Now we are, uh, I promised this in a, a couple episodes ago, we are now into the territory that is not the Hobbit at all. Um, so if you were concerned that it was going to end the exact same way as the Hobbit, where everybody in Good and Gulch would have been selling away um, uh, Monterey's goods, that is not what happens. Uh, so, you know, we're into brand new territory and we get to sort of, um, one of the story devices is to end the story with similar images to what you started with, but opposite. So in the beginning of the book, Paps is a gambler and kind of reckless and Monterey comes in to save him. 
uh, so that he doesn't sell the whole uh, Hayes house. And we kind of do the same thing, but with a twist where Monterey ends up in possession of it at the end. Um, now, as I was writing all of that exchange and listening to it again and through all, all of the rewrites and whatnot, I'm like, I don't know that this deal really makes a lick of sense, except that old Coot and his sons are not that bright. And so maybe that's, that's how this whole thing works. But um, I, I was reminded in listening to the, the chapter that one of the uh, titles for this story was going to be Yukon Gold. And there were a couple of things that stopped me. One, I already had sort of this uh, cheesy name for my hero, and that his name is Jack Danver, Jack Danvers from uh, like the Monterey area of California. So he's Monterey Jack Danvers, um, who's already uh, food related that way. To then name the book after a potato didn't seem like the right thing. I didn't want to make a huge food joke book thing. So we decided not to do Yukon Gold, though I still think that's probably the better title. Um, but then uh, also um, there was this uh, moment where uh, Paps is sitting next to Monterey during the deal and Paps, sorry, uh, Monterey, in order to keep Paps silent, digs his fingernails into um uh, Pap's leg and what this comes from, I, you know, this is not an unusual thing, but I remember before I worked at a church, I worked as a traveling, um, actor, I guess in a, uh, sort of a church skit group called the Skidiots. They don't exist anymore, but it was, you know, like your idiots who do skits. And uh, we had a, um, a parent group called the Skit Guys. Um, if you know of them, they're hilarious. Um, if you do nothing else, you cannot buy my book. You cannot get on my reader group. If you do nothing else, I don't care. Go to skitguys.com, um, watch some of their videos. They are hilarious. Um, but got to work with them some and um, travel with... Um, Eddie, who is one of the skit guys. And I remember being on a stage in Ohio. I think it was Ohio in this huge arena. Uh, all these students are sitting out in the pitch blackness of like all the lights are on us. I can't see anybody. It's just, they're so far away. You just hear laughter. It was very bizarre. Um, that he was sitting next to me and something on the stage that we were not participating in uh, was going on. And he's sitting right next to me with his arms crossed. And I'm trying to keep a straight face because what is happening on the stage is kind of bizarre. And then he just, I just feel this finger poking me in my ribs and realize that he, what he's doing to um, keep himself from laughing or rolling his eyes or any other things, he's just, he's digging his finger into my side, which is causing me to laugh more because it was terrible what we were watching. Um, anyway, so I still do this uh, at times with my wife where we may be watching something that is of a lower quality, but it would be rude to laugh or to roll your eyes or something and you just, you know, uh, dig your fingernails in or poke poker in the side or something. Um, so I thought I'd throw that in there as an homage to uh, my old skit guy, uh, buddy Eddie. Anyway, 
Um, that is, uh, I guess, it for this week. Next week, we finish a showdown in the Yukon. We have to say goodbye. But the good news is we wrap up with my daughter's favorite chapter in the whole book. Uh, again, if you've been tracking with this the whole time, you know that she had a very different experience with Showdown in the Yukon than I did. She thinks it's one story. I think it's a different story. How does this work? Well, you'll have to tune in next week to find out. Uh, between now and then, I would appreciate it if you would uh, swing by uh, BrianThomasCrop.com. If you haven't signed up for the reader group, uh, do that. And that way uh, you and I can have uh, an ongoing conversation. Uh, you can also, wherever you're listening to this, leave a rating and review. That would also be much obliged. And if you um, haven't yet picked up a paper copy of Showdown in the Yukon, you can do that over at uh, amazon.com. And it's possible I, I submitted all the files to Audible a couple weeks back, and I, it, they take a while to approve the stuff. So I don't know how that's uh, going at the point of this recording, but it's possible that the audiobook for Showdown in the Yukon is available. What that means is all of the recordings that you've been listening to on this podcast, I bundled them all up without all of me yammering afterwards and put that out as an audiobook. So if you would like the book, uh, and like me, I don't read that much. I listen to most of my books uh, these days. But if you are that kind of person and would like to have Showdown in the Yukon for your very own without me, uh, with all the, without all the director commentary and that kind of stuff, you can go over to uh, Audible or Amazon and get the audio book if it's available. I think it's got to be close uh, by now. Um, so you can go check that out. Otherwise, I hope you have a fantastic week and I will see you back here next time.